You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. folks. Buenos dias. Ceci Aquino. Um, I love having the opportunity and the privilege to be here with you all this morning. Um, you know, Pastor Riz, as he was going through um, the announcements, right, mentioned that we have been in this series, The Miracles of Jesus, for a couple of months now. And I hope that for each of you who have been able to join us for those conversations, that God has been working in your heart the way that he has been in mind. And what is it about the miracles of Jesus, right, that speaks so directly into our hearts? They give us hope, right? They remind us that this is the God we serve, and Jesus was here healing the sick. Last week, we saw that he lifted Lazarus from death, right? He gave him life again. Time and time again, he's reminding us of these amazing miracles. Now, I think what we have to be careful with is that for those of us that grew up in the church, this can be almost common sense, right? Oh, yeah, those were the books that I grew up with. Sure, sure, Um, God fed all these people. That's great. Okay, next, right? But I think for us to really spend the time to think about what God is teaching us through each miracle, through each character in these stories, makes a huge difference. And the difference that I want us to plug into is living the life that God has for us. He doesn't want us living in anxiety and stress and fear. He wants freedom for us, right? And this is the freedom that we have promised in him if we're able to learn through his miracles. So this morning, um, join me in reading Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Pray with me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, that you are so, so good. Thank you for meeting us here today, Lord. Thank you for watching over our day-to-day this week, Lord. Thank you that you so intentionally brought each and every one of us here this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our seasons, each of our lives, Lord. 
Thank you for using us. I pray for a renewal this morning, Lord. I pray that you reignite your Holy Spirit in us, that fire for us to be able to pursue you with all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our heart, Lord, and that we can serve you and live a life knowing that we, Lord, love, adore, serve the God of the impossible, Lord. You are good, you are perfect, and we know that your plans are better than ours. So we put today in your hands, speak to us, translate the word, Lord, into our hearts and into our minds, what each of us need to hear this morning. And Lord, may it be you who speaks this morning, less of me and more of you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me in that. So if you haven't guessed by the, the story, uh, this morning, we, are, we find ourselves in this amazing miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? How many times have we heard the story? Many, I assume. There you go, 5,000. Love it. What, to me, really stood out, and as I was digging deeper into the word, right, we hear that number, 5,000, 5,000. And at the end of the, of the verse, right, verse 21, we see, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And it was lightly thrown in there, right, women and children. Well, as I was digging deeper and asking the question, well, how many women, how many children? It was about 15,000 women and children. So Jesus fed the 20,000 with five loaves and two fish. Now, if that isn't miraculous enough, right, he was doing a lot more that day. Not only was he teaching his disciples, the crowd, but I strongly believe that he was sending us and leaving a message for each of us here today and teaching it through every character in the story. So, let us get started. Um, firstly, um, I want to outline a couple of goals for us today. I'm here today to remind you that we serve a God who is the ultimate provider. To encourage you that God has, is, and always will provide for you. And as part of our miracle series, um, as part of our church values to get to know one another, right? I strongly believe that God has taken each of us through a very specific pathway to show us in the ways that he wants us to serve him. And this morning, I want to incorporate my testimony throughout um, our time together so that I can share the amazing things that God has done for me, for my family, and glorify him through that and hopefully encourage you as well in case you're in a hard season and you're struggling to keep your eyes on him, that's okay. We'll talk through that, right? And hopefully come together to continue pursue him, pursuing him. All right. So today, uh, we'll dig deeper into three specific points. God has compassion on us. God asks us to serve others. And God prepares and instructs, instruct us for what he is calling us to do. Firstly, God has compassion on us. So in Matthew 14, 13 to 14, we see, 
and he had compassion on them and healed the sick. We see here Jesus coming from getting really bad news, right? If we read the verses above, he just heard um, his cousin was actually murdered. Um, we can assume he was hurting, right? This was his cousin that had left in his mother's womb when Mary uh, still had Jesus in her womb. And he leads the disciples to a desolate place. Side note here, uh, it's, a de it's called a desolate place, but they go together, right? And I think what really stood out to me is that even in hard times when we need to process what's happening, we're being taught to do it in community. And that's why the Ohana groups are so powerful because we get to process life together and do that together. So Jesus is with his disciples. We can assume it's a really tough time that they're going through and a crowd follows them, right? A crowd is excited to, to listen, to learn more from them. They take a boat to this desolate place. The crowd follows on foot. They sacrifice their day-to-day -day lives, their work, right, to pursue Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that even through this hard season, Jesus is compassionate of them, right? Um, in, in the different accounts of the story, uh, we see how Jesus responds. He says he saw them as his sheep, a sheep without a shepherd. He begins teaching and healing them. So just by the mere fact that the crowd showed up and they're there to be with Jesus, Jesus starts working those miracles. He provides for their spiritual needs, for physical healing, right? And as we'll see, he'll also provide for their physical needs through food. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, we'll dig a little deeper into verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And in thinking about God's compassion, right, I think we need to remember that he's a good father. I think our experience in life can sometimes stain the way that we see a fatherly figure, but we can be reminded that God is the perfect father. And if each of you who might have a child or a little cousin or a nephew can imagine the child asking you for something, right? Oh, can I have a cookie? Can I have water? Of course you're going to give it to them, right? And even more, more than what they're asking for. That's the type of character that God has, and he wants to provide that for us. So we can be encouraged that he has compassion for our every need, spiritual, physical, and even supernatural. Nothing is too large or too small because we serve the God of the impossible. Secondly, in this, in this story, we see that God asks us to serve others. In Matthew 14, 16, but Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Over and over again, God calls us throughout the Bible to protect the vulnerable, to seek justice for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. 
And in this story, he is reminding us that he will multiply our resources so that we can serve them well. He's not telling us, go and make a million dollars and then come back and serve. He says, put whatever you have in my hands and serve the people who need it. And in that serving, he will multiply the resources. In Matthew 25, 35 to 40, we see, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and clothed you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so we need to think about the different places where God has placed us, places of influence, of power, And we need to think about how he is calling us to serve the vulnerable, the disenfranchised, folks who may not have as many resources as you. And it is a commandment. It's not just that, oh, that's nice for nice people who like to do that and donate their time. I I have other gifts. No, no, no. This is a commandment. If we see Malachi 3.5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the immigrant and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. With our actions, the way we speak to others, the way we treat others, the way we drive, There are many ways that we can show God's love and God's care and God's compassion to others, right? And this morning, I want you to think, where has God called you to provide for others? Is it through our food hub where you can come on a weekend and serve? Is it through your resources? Has God blessed you with many resources? Use it to help those who are impoverished. Is it through civic engagement? Our vote matters, and in us thinking about the vulnerable, we need to think about policies that serve them and that protect them, not hurt them. Thirdly, God prepares and instructs us for what he is calling us to do. He doesn't just leave this big commandment, right? Go and serve the poor, go and serve those who are underserved, but he teaches us how to do it, and he doesn't leave us alone in it. I want to walk us this morning through the process he intentionally sets for his disciples. If we can skip to the next slide. So what is the process here that Jesus is guiding folks through? The problem is identified, right? Shoot, it's getting late. These people need some food. What are we going to do? The disciples identify a solution. Oh, Jesus, send them away. Let them get some food. They can come back. It's late, let's do this. And then Jesus challenges them with his solution, and it's countercultural, right? Yeah, there's a lot of people, yeah, in their ministry, Jesus didn't have that much money to f- always feed all these people, right? But he says, you feed them. 
Jesus asked them to bring him the resources first, right? Bring it to me. Bring me what you have. Jesus prays, blesses it, gives it to his disciples. The disciples then give it to the people, and then they are all satisfied, and there are even leftovers. So that day, Jesus clearly served the crowd directly, right? We saw that when they got there, he had compassion on them. He started healing them. He started teaching them. He could have easily, easily fed them on his own account, right? But he takes the intentional step to walk his disciples through the process that they were to learn so that they could also serve people, so that they would be part of a miracle. And this is what Jesus is calling us today. He wants us to be part of his miracles. He wants us to be part of the greater story that we're in. This isn't a story about you and me going through life and, you know, making it work. No, we are serving God every day, and that is the way that we are to live our life. This morning, I stand before you like the many who received a miracle and were told to go and shout it to the crowds, to go and share what God had done in their lives. My life is one that against all odds, I stand before you today. And I stand before you as a testament of God's power, glory, love, and honor. At no point can I lie and take credit for anything. Nope, God had his hand in every step and every second of my life. I was born in Guatemala. I am an immigrant to the United States. I came to the mainland um, when I was 10 years old. My family decided to leave a pretty comfortable life. Uh, my parents were both professionals, but at the time, uh, women and kids were being kidnapped and sold into slavery, sex slavery. And uh, in my family, it's me, three younger sisters, and mom. So one day, you know, my parents were really scared that we wouldn't come home, that just like the other children that were being kidnapped from the school that I went to, one day we wouldn't make it home. And so they started praying. God provided every single resource for us to be able to move here, and we immigrated. And we came to a country where we didn't know the language, where we didn't know any, anyone besides uh, my, my father's childhood friend. He had a mobile home, he let us stay there, so we had a tiny little room where my mother who was pregnant, my two sisters and I slept. My father slept on the floor, and we did this for various months. Um, at the time, my dad would work um, odd jobs to, to make it. Um, a lot of programs like the WIC program uh, provided for my family's needs when it comes to food. And, you know, I think back and now in my job, right, I often have to look at the federal, federal poverty level Right now, it's about 56K for a family of six um, in a year, right? We were making about 16K a year for a family of six. How many of you can imagine putting a family through the day-to-day, -day, rent, bills, food, right? 
it's hard to imagine. And even myself sometimes, I'm just impressed. But what God did was he multiplied the very small amount of resources that we had. And he blessed us. Whenever we would go to a food hub to pick food up, whenever we would go to WIC and receive some food, my parents always made a point to give to our neighbors, right? This isn't just for us. Let's give some out. My parents taught us to tithe, even when that meant even just a couple of cents, even just a couple of dollars. And I saw the way that God multiplied that. I'm not here to say, oh, look at my family, we did it right. No, not at all. It was messy, it was imperfect. There were times where we didn't know what was going to happen and we were fearful. But we were on our knees, we were praying and crying and asking God for direction. The things that I was exposed during that time taught me what I now today have the privilege to address through my work. And I strongly believe that if I hadn't had this very personal encounter to understand poverty in the United States, right, then I would have a huge blind spot, even if that was still my passion. I understand the folks that we serve at my, at my job because I lived it, right? And so today, let's thank God for that miracle, first of all, that God provided and he took care of us in our every need. And let's think through how we can more actively and boldly live our day-to-day -day knowing that our God is a God of miracles, not just in the Bible, but today. So let's talk about the second piece of the puzzle here, our broken human response. So as Jesus is guiding his disciples through um, that process of, of learnings, right, we see that when they're called to, to bring what they have, right, the disciples act out a little bit. They're like, what? We don't have anything. I sense a little sass from the disciples when they're like, 200 denarii, you want us to bring all this money and buy food for them, right? And let's be honest, we all have that gut feeling, that gut response, right? When, whenever we're dealt with something difficult. Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it anger? How does it come up for you? I can tell you about the fear I felt when we were evicted from our home and almost became homeless. By human standards, we couldn't find a solution. We were an immigrant family. As an immigrant, you're not allowed and you're unable to qualify for credit or to build credit. There's little to no savings for those extra expenses, like the first month, last month rent, and security deposit. And this took a while. I still remember my parents you know, driving around, trying to find the place where we would live. It was a no after no after no. And the day that we were supposed to leave the house, the police were going to come and kick us out. 
God provided. And I glorify him because God is not a day late, a day early. He is just right with his timing. It was at random. It wasn't because our great network. It wasn't because our great friends. It was a kind stranger that God used to bless us, who that day decided to not require all those different things um, and just provided a home for our family. He did this twice in my life. And I can tell you about the fear and the frustration of facing this situation, not once, but twice. But every time, God had something better. He took us from that mobile home room to a one-bedroom apartment, to a two-bedroom house, to a three-bedroom house where we rent today. And I can tell you that because our need as humans for security, right, and housing, if God hadn't taken us out that way, we would still be living in that one-bedroom apartment, right? My family needed a place for their daughters to be safe in, for us to be together as a family. And if God hadn't guided us out, showed us, and provided for us miraculously, we wouldn't be where we are today. I can tell you about the frustration I felt when I was at USC and I saw my friends buying $1,000 shoes when I knew that my family couldn't make rent. I can tell you about the frustration that I felt when I had $0 to attend college. I had acceptances to nine universities. I wanted to go to school to help others but I couldn't. I just didn't have the financial possibilities. As an immigrant, yet again, I couldn't apply for loans, private or state. But a week before school started, God provided a full-ride scholarship. Amen. To USC, which isn't cheap. Um, and I have to tell you, I prayed. I was like, God, just give me enough to go. I'll take the bus. I, I'll get myself there. No worries. Just let me study. And not only did he provide the Fulbright Scholarship for all four years, he gave me a living stipend. So I was able to get a place at the university, food for all four years. And he multiplied my career I was able to graduate with both an undergrad and a master's degree within those four years. So God just said, oh, you want this? Let me double it. And he did. So praise God for his miracles. I can also tell you about the confusion I felt when having done everything under the sun to get into dental school, my mom is a dentist in Guatemala. She was always very passionate about dentistry. Uh, we would go to the outskirts of Guatemala and serve in the pueblitos, and you know it was really powerful to be able to provide and give. So I grew up um, with that desire, um, not just to you know support my mom and the sacrifice that she did to leave her career for her kids, uh, but also just to be in that position again and to be able to serve others. And so I had done everything under, you know, 
everything that you can imagine. I started, I started volunteering at the USC Dental School when I was in eighth grade, all through high school, all through undergrad. I had letters of recommendations from the deans and professors. I had the right scores for the DAT. And God chose to close that door. And at the time, I was confused. I didn't understand. I said, God, all I want to do is serve you by helping others through dentistry. Like, what is wrong? What, how come you didn't open this door? And I kept coming back to the Bible verses that said, knock, and it will be open. And I knocked, and it wasn't, and I didn't understand. And I felt like I had done something wrong. I felt like I had failed him somewhere. But no, God was teaching me through this really rough process. He was teaching me to trust him in the difficulties, to hear his voice, not my idea of what the right thing was. About a year later, I understood. It took a year for me to, to hear from God. What was he doing through this? I wanted to go to USC Dental School. God said, how about Harvard? And he opened the doors at Harvard for a doctorate in public health. It's a career that I didn't pine over. It wasn't a career that I had, you know, tied to my identity. I didn't even know about it. Was I doing the work? Yes. I was helping with education. I was doing this and that through dentistry at the time. But I, you know, as an immigrant, you, many times you're not tapped into civic engagement. You're not tapped into policies because you're left out so many times, right? So for me, this was something new, but it was so aligned with the natural skill set that God had gifted me in. And when I sat in those classes, I just thanked God. I was like, wow, I didn't even know this existed, and you provided. So again, God completely turned what I wanted and my desire, and he multiplied it beyond belief. I can tell you about the hopelessness I felt when I was in two toxic jobs back to back. I learned what it was like to love your enemies. These were people that I was working with and I came in, you know, super idealistic. I'm going to pray for my coworkers. I'm going to, you know, share the word. And I found out that the people that I was praying with and praying for were actually plotting to um, get me fired. And it was a really tough situation, and I didn't understand it. But I learned to love my enemies. It was a time where God really taught me, yeah, you can be nice to people that are nice to you. That's great. That's easy. Be nice to people who are not nice to you. And that was huge. So today, I share this with you again, not to say, oh, me, me, me. No, this is all about God all about God. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God and if it wasn't God's plan that I be here today. Let's go to the third lesson, our willingness to bring him what we have. So the disciples brought him the two fish and the five loaves of bread, and it didn't even belong to them, right? It belonged to a young boy that was there that day. But what does willingness look like? The process of bringing him the resources that we have. Are we bringing him all of us, the good and the bad, the doubt, the fear, the anger, the unbelief, our desires, our dreams, our skill sets, our careers, 
our time, our love, our family, your motherhood, your fatherhood, your dreams and desires. For me, this process was messy. I, like I mentioned earlier, I remember being on my knees, crying, praying. I brought him my fear, my frustration, my questions. And time and time again, I just learned to surrender. And it takes time. It's not easy. You can say the right words, right? I surrender to you. Please help me. But you know, right, deep down in your heart that you're still holding on to things. But that, getting to the level of, okay, if this isn't what you want for me, that's fine. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And getting to that point takes time and effort. But I'm here to encourage you that God is with us in that pain, in that difficulty. He's holding us through it all. Last time I was up here with you guys in November last year, we talked about the refinement process, right? God refines us through fire, through those hard seasons. So be encouraged that if you are in a tough season right now, God is with you. God is holding your hand through the difficulties. Fourth lesson, our obedience to step out in faith. And this one I'm, I get really excited about because it is through the disciples' obedience of taking the resources that Jesus had prayed over, and it is in this act when they go and give it to the crowd. That's where the miracle happens. It, didn't, it doesn't say that God prayed and then we had 20 baskets and they passed them out. No, they were given the same resources back and then they stepped out in faith and started giving to the crowd, right? They had to take that leap of faith. They had to say, yeah, I only have this much, but God's going to provide. And that's what God is asking us to do this morning. Step out in faith. Wherever he's calling you, whatever season you're in, step out in faith. Do the countercultural. Are you worried that you're not going to make rent? Tithe. Do an offering. Pray. Don't watch that show. Get on your knees and pray fast. Right? Whatever the world tells us to do, oh, go and invest some more. Do the opposite. Ask God first. I'm not telling you to go do something crazy. Ask God what he wants you to do. But do it to pursue him. Do it to find him. Have this hunger for Christ, and he's going to meet you there. And when the miracle has happened, our joy and growth. What do we do after the miracle happens? Do we come back and praise? Do we worship him? Do we even spend five minutes rejoicing in it? Or do we quickly jump to whatever's next? How many of us do this, right? Oh, man, I'm struggling with this. Jesus helped me. Oh, he provided. Cool. Now I'm worried about this other thing, right? How many times do we do that? We need to spend time thanking God. Just the way you spend time asking him for help, you need to spend time now praying and thanking him. Yes, today I stand in front of you as a doctor of public health with the privilege to serve as executive director for a nonprofit in California. But I can tell you that no number of titles, no number of 
academic experiences or honor, it's nothing compared to what I have in God. His love, his compassion, his peace, his joy. And I, I want that for you all. I want all of you to find your identity in Christ, to wake up every morning and say, man, I'm God's child. Yeah, let's do this. Am I worried about X, Y, Z? Sure, but I am God's child, and I'm going to see how God acts through this season or through this issues. I'm here also to remind you that whatever season you're in, there is purpose, even if it's really hard. I'm reminded of Esther 4.14, born for such a time as this, right? And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So you don't know, maybe you don't understand yet why you're in this season, but God knows. And he can see your past, your future. He knows what he's doing through this. So trust him and draw closer to him. So to wrap things up, I'm here to tell you that that toxic job you're at, it has purpose. I'm here to tell you that the sleepless nights because of that beautiful baby is keeping you up, they have a purpose. The waiting, your back pain, the cancer, the unexplainable, they have a purpose. And I'm here to encourage you that our God is right there with you. He loves you, he chose you, he made you. Psalm 103, 13 to 14 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And church, um, I also want us to remember who is posing the perfect template of a response in the story, and it's the crowd. And what's funny is that the crowd is there to learn about Jesus, right? You can say that at this point, the disciples are quote-unquote experts. They've been with Jesus. Uh, you know, they've, they've been practicing their faith, and the crowd is just there to learn. But they actually pose the perfect example and where we need to get to. What, did, what can we learn from them? They weren't worried. They just went. They said, Jesus is over there. Let me go. They waited expectantly, right? They showed up with their needs. I need healing. I need some teaching. They waited expectantly. They knew that they would be provided for. They were hungry for his word. They were hungry for him. And I don't know about you, but when I go to an event and I know it's getting late, I start thinking about food. I can even get hangry, right? They weren't. They were just sitting there. Jesus told them, sit in circles. They did it. They were just waiting expectantly for him to provide and that's what God wants for us. He wants us to come to him, to abide in him, to listen to him, and wait for his provision. And then, as we can see, we will receive even more than we have um, imagined or thought about. I'll call the worship team up uh, to join me um, as we close. 
Today, he is asking you, will you bring him everything you have? He's choosing you to bless others, to transform lives, to feed others with the good news. And you ask, but who am I? You know, I'm just a normal person, I, whatever. He wants you to remember that he has called you. And he said, I, I am has sent you. God is with you. You are his beloved child. He has placed his hand upon your lips. He has given you the words to say. He has given you the steps to take. Today, will you bring him what little you have? What are your two fish? What are your five loaves? Will you bring him your pain, your frustration, your finances, your career, your job, your family, your children, your broken dreams? Will you come to him as you are and serve him and expectantly watch for him to act, for him to bless others through you? He wants to do that. Will you let him? Let me pray for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in your power and your goodness, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you so intentionally chose us, that you saw our unformed substances being made in our mother's womb, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for what you have taught us. Thank you for the experiences that we have faced. We pray that you use us to bless others to grow in your kingdom, to grow your kingdom, Lord. Please help us be a blessing wherever we are at. Please help us bless those around us, be it through a kind word, be it through an HR practice that we decide to change to give folks some mental health days. Whatever it is that you have called us to do, help us, give us guidance, strengthen us, Lord and hold us in our pain and our confusion when we don't understand why a season is there. When we're hurting, when we're crying on the floor, I pray that you hold us, that you give us a big hug and you remind us that we are never alone, that we are chosen by you, Lord. We are precious in your eyes, honored, and you love us. So today, will you reignite that fire in our hearts? Will you show us the way? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.